Welcome to Health System CIO's live at Vive interview with Jesse Fasolo, Director of Technology, Infrastructure, and Cybersecurity, and Information Security Officer with St. Joseph Health. Jesse, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Anthony, for having me. All right, great. Um, I'm gonna so tell me a little bit about your organization and your role, Jesse. We'll start there. Absolutely. So St. Joseph's Health is a uh, hospital system in New Jersey. Uh, we care and uh, dedicate uh, most of our care and clinical uh, teams towards uh, helping the underprivileged, underserved in the community. Uh, we're a very large charity care facility, and uh, we're about a thousand bed system, uh, forty ambulatory sites, two uh, acute care facilities at the moment. Um, myself, uh, obviously, uh, I have a background in multiple industries, and uh, I brought all different types of transformational projects that I've led in uh, finance, legal, and um, other industries into healthcare. And I've been helping them for the last eight years uh, transform uh, not just technology, but innovation and processes and procedures. Very good. I'm going to start with an open-ended question. Um, what are some of the main trends that you're watching, looking at, or trying to position your organization to deal with? Well, I think top of mind, um, just being the information security officer of the organization is ensuring safety and confidentiality of data. Um, uh, we, we had just recently talked about that in the panel of uh, securing your data. So uh, with the um, risk of ransomware and bad actors attacking healthcare recently, uh, my role uh, more or less um, uh, keeps me very busy trying to prevent that and I think uh, communicating the executive team, communicating the organization um, how we need to position ourselves, uh, what products, what t technologies, um, what procedures we need to put in place to allow us to protect um, the corporate data, uh, patient data specifically. Um, at the end of the day, uh, the data security is uh, paramount to uh, protecting our patients. So when we talk about protecting the data, you know, and on the other side, we something like medical device security. Is that the same thing to you or are these different things? Is protecting the data different than sort of getting your inventory of medical devices and making sure those uh, and possible intrusion points are locked down? Are these different? No. Does one protect the other? I, I think I think it's an ecosystem. Um, I think uh, when you think of uh, cybersecurity, uh, cybersecurity focuses on the, the securing of the devices, the securing of the infrastructure. Um, information security also is a higher level where information security, you're, you're protecting the, the data, uh, the transmission of the data, the access to the data. Um, so when you put both of those together in an environment such as healthcare, with legacy devices, and you just mentioned uh, medical devices specifically, uh, they're plagued with medical devices that are aged out well beyond um, capabilities of patching and vulnerability management. So I, I think it goes hand in hand, um, uh, you know, protecting data, protecting the devices, um, and coming up with strategies to isolate or mitigate or protect them um, from a physical attack. Uh, just because of the, you know, the prevalence of legacy uh, medical devices in healthcare, um, and then just to add to that, I recently took over clinical engineering, which helps me have a better grasp of all medical devices in the facility, the inventory, um, the database of all the devices, the management, maintenance of those devices. Where now I have the ability to kind of dovetail cybersecurity and protection of those devices in the same time. Yeah, I've, I've heard um, there's different reporting structures, but uh, definitely maybe a trend is clinical engineering reporting up to cybersecurity? 
Uh, that's how we uh, that's how we have it here at St. Joseph's Health, and it's working in our benefit because I've been able to bring um, the refinements and efficiencies I've brought to cybersecurity and program management and vulnerability management to the same level of uh, preventative maintenance and management and care of uh, devices. So when you don't have that, what are the challenges that come up when, when clinical engineering or bio, biomed does not report up through cybersecurity? What are the difficulties that come up? Oftentimes, um, even when it was uh, prevalent in the environment we were, uh, there's a gap of uh, who owns the device, who manages the device, how do I get access to devices where information security can have a list of vulnerabilities and you just don't know where and how to find them. And then you also, um, most security professionals don't understand that these devices are connected to patients. At the end of the day, they're either preventing or helping uh, a patient in, in care, um, and there's sensitivity around uh, acquiring that device. Um, they need to be cleaned and brought to a, a, a specific location in the hospital, and those are the areas where you need to collaborate with uh, central sterile and biomed and clinical engineering to uh, start approaching them uh, with with you know vulnerability management at that point because once they come in for service, you're missing the opportunity. And I think previous to cybersecurity having access to that, uh, we would not be able to access those devices in time, um, or it would be something that we have to accept on the environment just because these are legacy devices. But it's been successful um, being able to identify vulnerabilities, being able to pull um, and coordinate. Uh, for example, we had our our pump system, um, uh, infusion pump system, um, and they had uh, not not just recalls, but we were able to upgrade firmware and mitigate vulnerability. And we're talking a fleet mm-hmm. of thousands of devices, and without being able to manage the uh, inventory on the clinical engineering side and uh, mitigating the cybersecurity vulnerabilities at the same time, that coordination and being able to do. Uh, both organ, both groups at the same time and manage those both groups at the same time allowed us to be successful in closing out those vulnerabilities quicker. What has that pr- transition been like, bringing that group under you? Um, you know, anytime you're changing reporting structures and things like that, I mean, can you talk about anything that you've done in that process that you think worked well or maybe some lessons learned uh, for those who are going to go through this um, you know, hey, as this is coming under you, and most of a lot of it's political and dealing with people and who are not used to reporting up to you, and now they're reporting up to you. And so, what was, what are your thoughts on on how you, how to manage that? Well, I, I think it starts with uh, an open mind that um, you know you have to slowly introduce yourself to the idea that now the department is going to be run and managed a different way. I think in in our case. Uh, it was a welcome uh, invitation where uh, I was able to lead and, and drive and, and uh, be present and um, help them transform inefficiencies that they had with their leadership mm-hmm. um, just because they, they didn't have the direction that they needed. Um, so I've, I've brought um, more control and more refinement uh, I immediately. Uh, post a deployment of a medical device management system that allowed us to really recognize the sheer scope of these mm-hmm. medical devices and the concern. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through all the policies and procedures, aligned them to new standards, um, ensured that everyone, both on the clinical engineering and security side and IT side, understood what was in their policies and how we're, how we're going to deliver this program. Mm-hmm. And then from a leadership perspective on my end, 
I think uh, having my one-on-ones with clinical engineering, management, leadership, um, having uh, career paths, uh, really engaging with uh, um, the individuals on the team. I think we just brought in an intern position to really introduce them from a high school uh, program, a tech program, and bring them into biomed and kind of introduce that. So I think we're we're starting to um, promote the team and promote that across the organization. So monthly we, we provide lists of uh, preventative maintenance and we're, we're more aware of the business units. We build a governance structure around clinical engineering for the organization with nursing and IT and cybersecurity and, um, and other areas. So we all come together. We understand who's acquiring medical devices mm-hmm. now where mm-hmm. previously organizations struggle because um, business units buy medical devices and with, without the cybersecurity individuals understanding how to secure them right. and then to bring them on the network and then you know you find out they're vulnerable and no one's managing them. So we, we've fixed all of that mm-hmm. uh, simply by me overseeing that group and building some governance around um, and structure around how we handle medical devices. And that's both on the on-site and when you, when you acquire medical devices and when you retire medical devices as well. Do you think that... Um when biomedical folks or clinical engineering folks, I assume they reported up in more of a clinical track before, and then they wind up reporting up to, to IT security. So my, my, my guess would be that there could be some concern there on their part that, I, you know, I'm a clinical person, I care about patients, and now I'm reporting up to IT. And I would think that one of the messages that you would want to be delivering was, my primary focus is patient care as well. Yep. Even though I'm cybersecurity, I want you to know, clinical people, that I care about patient safety primarily. Yep. And this is a, how we take care of patient safety on this side. Yeah. So kind of, I'm wondering, is that you think that's part of the thinking that some may have during that change and that, that reassurance would be important? I, I think it's dependent on myself and, and my leadership abilities. But yes, I, I think... Um, even in the IT roles and, and areas that I oversee, everything I do, I kind of understand that what I'm doing is to protect or help a patient at the end of the day. Right. Um, so it, it reframing what you do in that in that lens mm-hmm. helps you identify that um, mitigating vulnerabilities, for example, uh, managing that department in a different way is all essentially helping. And I think what what transitions that to nursing and nursing clinical leadership is that now where before there may have been a more laxed management of the devices mm-hmm. and maintenance of the devices and um, almost to the point where uh, clinical leaders would would question um, the team now we've we've kind of over the last year uh, rebuilt the uh, awareness for the team and how they uh, are seen right mm-hmm. so medical you know Oftentimes, biomed is looked at, or clinical engineering is looked at, as the ones that just fix the product. But they're they're really the ones that maintain the devices to provide clinical care. Mm-hmm. So if if the device is not uh, done, the preventive maintenance is not done on the device, they should not be using it on the patient, which means it could impact clinical care. So I think it took a long time, but nursing leadership understands. Uh, the role mm-hmm. and appreciates the the urgency that we put around um, making sure we have on time preventative maintenance 
We have on-time uh, good inventory of our systems. Mm-hmm. When things are needed or requested emergently, mm-hmm. we can provide them. Like, for example, there was a uh, an issue with uh, the ability to have uh, uh, beds mm-hmm. for patients for uh, NICU and PICU right. um, and cribs right. uh, in the middle of the summer uh, going into fall, where we immediately were able to harvest and create or build you know, from parts or bring in uh, rental beds and, and facilitate that immediately mm-hmm. based on that need and, um, you know, and do it in a secure fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so the, the, in the discussions I've been having, the, in my mind, the way I see some people breaking down these vulnerabilities would be, and, and in terms of big buckets, one would be devices and other ways of getting in where you don't need anyone's cooperation, okay? On the other bucket is where you need someone's cooperation. That would be like phishing, social engineering, and things like that. So tremendous amount of danger there, right? That's still a huge way people are getting in, possibly the most predominant way, although someone told me yesterday that now coming in through devices and other such uh, open doors, so to speak, is really shot up. So maybe we're talking about a 50-50 type scenario, but... Is that a way to think about security? One area where you don't need anybody's help, it's a real technology hack, so to speak, and then one where you need somebody's help, and that's a social engineering or phishing hack. Does that make sense to think of it in those two ways? Um, It's definitely different vectors, and what you see, uh, what I've seen, is uh, once someone has a credential that they're able to get on the environment, um, the easiest thing they can do is identify a machine or a piece of equipment like medical device that doesn't have native protection, that doesn't have monitoring, they don't have oversight of that device, and that device then can uh, be used to infiltrate uh, masses across the organization, right? Because essentially no one's watching it. So well, you said, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you said in this scenario you're coming up with, you said they got a credential. Yeah. And, How'd they and get I, the credential in your scenario? So there's many different ways now you're seeing credential theft, um, whether it's uh, internal, um, individuals selling their credentials. Um, that's a popular way for bad actors to be uh, uh, accessing in internal environments. Um, other areas, like you mentioned, are social engineering or phishing or credential uh, stealing, where you you are prompted to go to a website and put in a credential. Right. Um, all of these areas of, of avenues of how to get a credential or, or just legacy, uh, you know, passwords that are used. I think um, uh, we recently adopted a, uh, a password check uh, utility where it identifies the passwords that you're using across a pawned database of 6 billion passwords, and it doesn't allow you to use them. Uh-huh. Uh, but previous to that, you can imagine uh, welcome one, two, three, four yeah, yeah. Is, is a simple password, right. and you could use that. So eventually, someone could get a password and a credential to get access to your systems. Um, and obviously, there's other system service accounts that vendors can have. Um, you're seeing vendors that are, um, there was just a password database uh, system. Um, I, won't, I won't mention the name, but they were uh, breached, which means all of the password database passwords for customers <laughs> that are stored in those databases are now stolen. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if a healthcare system's passwords were stolen, now they have access mm-hmm. to your system mm-hmm. and you didn't even give them to anyone. Mm-hmm. They, they, they went through this secure system or software that you were using as a database for all your passwords in the system. Right. Um, so there's many avenues of how someone can get a password. And once they're in, they're in. 
and again, medical devices, if they're, if they're not up to date, if they don't have good firmware, if they're not managed well, it's just, it's a way to really impact healthcare um, and patient care specifically, because if you impact the devices that are connected to the patient, you directly impact the patient. Are there, are there open doors where you don't need a password or credential per se? It's just an open door that no one realized was open and, and we get in that way? Well, a lot of default and uh, configured devices that are uh, come in the door, um, there needs to be a standard. And most organizations, um, if they don't have good oversight of the devices, the devices and equipment and computers and, and systems come in and they're leveraging administrative passwords and default passwords that are well-known. Um, I could probably name off a couple different vendors that are well-known that if you use their technical support service accounts it's the same everywhere mm -hmm. it's the same account same login same password right. they use it all all their customers so if you don't change that and require that to be changed then potential a bad actor can come in identify that that's a device of knowledge and try to use that account and gain access and again it's it's there's many possibilities here and you think that's still happening you think there's people with such bad cyber hygiene that that's still going on out there I think um, when you look at the amount of devices that any one healthcare system can have, um, for example, a small healthcare system may have 30,000 devices on their network at any given time, and on average they have five people in their network mm -hmm. team and maybe three in their security team right. to manage all of this. Right. Um, and most, most of it's predated them in the organization, right. and you know, you're talking 15-year devices, 10-year devices. Uh, they don't know who right. set it up and who configured it. So you literally would have to go through an entire database of, of devices and the entire environment mm -hmm. one by one and identify this, the, the application and put a security control or put a standard against right. it and move on to the next. So yeah, there's possibility there. Let's say somebody asks you to mentor a new CISO at a health system. Maybe not a lot of experience, just promoted from a director position, whatever. What would be maybe the top three things you would say, hey, listen, one, two, three, you got to work on this, and then we'll talk about your next steps? I, I think day one, any new cybersecurity individual, whether they're management um, or at an engineering analyst level, uh, they need to look at all of their surface area and understand their vulnerabilities and their risks. And if they're not documented well to begin with, they need to start looking at that. Um, you know, some of the standards that are out there, um, NIST and uh, HISP, and um, they they give you a guide um, of what you need to put in place uh, to to secure your environment um, and to secure your environment as, as far as HIPAA security rule goes. And it's a good model. So anyone new into healthcare obviously needs to follow a model. Um, you can't, um, what they say, you can't boil the ocean. Right. So you got to start strategically and go through and, and do it based on risk. So if you have something externally facing, high risk that anyone can get to, that's your first line of business, right? Secure your external assets, um, secure what anyone out there can get to. And then, um, you know, obviously with cybersecurity as a CISO, um, you have to start partnering. Uh, most organizations, they see the, C the security system or security uh, team as uh, an issue or an impediment to yeah. business operations, right. right? Because security always has to get in the way of right. moving a purchase or right. uh, integrating a vendor or yep. um, they put specific controls around a deployment and that makes it more difficult for right. vendors to access. But all of this stuff takes building relationships. So a new CISO really needs to start 
reaching out to nursing, building and establishing relationships with nursing, clinicians, legal, risk, privacy, compliance, and really uh, be more of a relationship management for security because um, if one security is seen, uh, cybersecurity is seen as uh, the bane of the organization, yeah. it's a really tall hill to climb back up. Um, so, so start with that relationship building, start with mitigating some of the emergent high-risk vulnerabilities. Um, and then the third, I would say, is uh, establishing your team and your bench. Mm. Um, sometimes, uh, oftentimes, in uh, cybersecurity in, in this time, in this day and age, is uh, capabilities are lacking. The cybersecurity products, technologies, and vulnerabilities are far uh, outspanning the capabilities of the teams internally. So really seeing where they are and developing education, developing programs to really propel them, get them up to speed, and identify your systems and tools that they either can manage, can't manage, um, or, or should not be managing, and kind of start picking your, uh, your devices uh, as far as what what can be managed outside, what should be um, supported internally, what should be supported by a vendor or manufacturer, and kind of start there. So you like, uh, well, everybody likes NIST, right? I mean, NIST is uh, the 2018 and, and now um, the health sector coordinating. I just interviewed Greg Garcia yesterday. The health sector coordinating council has come up with a sort of a crosswalk to try and help align the NIST standards to healthcare. They're trying to help people so you don't have to kind of map it all out on your own. They're trying to help map it to healthcare. But um, NIST seems to be the de facto thing that everyone works towards. Is that correct? Um, that's the most popular. Um, and it's, it's not a model that's impossible to achieve okay. compliance against. Uh, what you're referencing, I think, is uh, 800-66R2, which is what they just came out with a new revision of how to implement it, mm-hmm. right? how to implement the program. And uh, it's a guide. Uh, it's a guide to succeed. And organizations, uh, the cybersecurity leaders, really um, need, to, need to do an assessment themselves, uh, in addition to the third-party assessments that they are required to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to track progress and uh, you know, try to get to 100% compliance. And each year, it should be an iterative process of trying to achieve uh, success in that in, in that model. And then, once you su- succeed there, you can start looking at other models, such as high trust and ISO, um, and and other more stringent models uh, to accompany that NIST model. And how do you think about zero trust in all this? Zero trust is a really good perspective um, that people should be adopting, but I think it's one of those buzzwords. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, if you if you look at anything in security, cybersecurity, technology, you should not trust it. You right. should not trust people using it without ensuring there's security and controls in place. Um, and it, I think it's a good model to be adopted. And if you can secure your devices before people actually get used to using them um, you know with a zero trust model enforce multi multiple factor enforce um, stringent passwords enforce uh, minimum security required needed like uh, or for example um, you know uh, using roles and using uh, minimum access uh, not everyone needs full access uh, to things and it should be very small as far as what you need access to and uh, eventually um, 
organizations that start going down the path of zero trust, it takes a while because you're, you're changing how the whole team does their work. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it can be successful, but again, I think it takes that relationship building, the communication of what we're doing, why we're doing it, mm-hmm. um, and slow and, and simple steps. Um, and again, when you do new products and new deployments, uh, those are opportunities to gain big uh, advancing moves against uh, or towards zero trust. Right, right. <clears throat> you talked about not being an impediment, uh, not having that um, perception in the health, in the system that IT security is an impediment. You know, well, we want to do whatever we can to avoid going to IC security. And that's when things pop up on the network and you're told after the fact, right? After the fact, oh, hey, we bought this uh, and whatever. Or it pops up, you have some sort of software that detects things on the network and it shows, oh, what's this? Yeah. Um, you know, I've spoken to different CISOs, uh, one who talked about having a service level agreement, uh, informal, where he tries to get a response to any request to evaluate a new application within two weeks. Like, you, you make a request, yep. we'll get to you. So people don't say, oh, we're never going to hear back, so forget it. They know, okay, we're going to hear back in two weeks with something. I thought that was interesting. Another CISO I spoke to talked about how if it does just pop up on the network, we will shut it down, which was interesting because some won't do that. I've also heard from others who, who don't talk like that who say if it pops up, we'll work with you to deal with it at that point. So there's different approaches that people can take. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, obviously the goal is to get them to be comfortable coming to security, not see you in as an impediment, so you can get ahead of the process, you can get that vendor those minimum requirements, you know, maybe you give those business folks a questionnaire and say, hey, get this to the vendor and have them answer it and send it back to me. I don't know how it works with you, but yep. what, what's your basic process for evaluating the new apps that people want to buy at the department level. So uh, we went through that uh, over the last, I would say, five, three to five years where um, there was instances where systems were popping up or uh, purchased and acquired and last minute uh, be provided to security technology asking for assistance to bring it onto the network and, and mm-hmm. implement it or and integrate it. And at those times, um, what we learned was uh, you you have to you can't just say no because this is ultimately a product that's going to help patient. Mm-hmm. So you have to think of like that. The business already acquired this asset and this tool or this software. So you need to, if it's already too late in that aspect mm-hmm. from a purchasing and acquisition perspective, you need to accommodate it to some degree. And um, like you said, an SLA is is important to understand. Like, hey, you know, we do a, an initial review of the device or product or software. If it does pass our minimum requirements that we set forth and put in place, mm-hmm. we can allow it. But again, this takes a bigger conversation. Over the last three years, we've gotten to the point where any new acquisition um, and, and hardware acquisition through our purchasing team or value uh, chain team uh, and or legal contract uh, has uh, gates that they have to get past. And one of the gates is a cybersecurity assessment, third-party assessment, um, and a review by me. Yep. So I have to look at the product. Before it's purchased. Before it's purchased. And um, during contract renewals. They want, I, cause uh-huh. I, I, I asked the organization to update our BAAs mm-hmm. um, with, on, with every single renewal, contract yep. renewal. Yep. Um, and in those uh, BAAs, uh, we're requiring minimum security. And those change. 
the minimum security changes often. So those are one of the areas where organizations need to focus on is uh, their contract and their purchasing arms because that's yeah. the way things come into the organization. Typically, you don't see clinicians or departments use, running around with their credit card buying devices. They're, they're going through the process right. of using the healthcare system's money to acquire right. it. Right. So you have to build that relationship with, with that purchasing team. When they have a new product or new request, say for a pump or a vent, or they'll reach out to me and say, "Hey, we have this request. Please review it." So yeah. often, I'm often they already know, and they're providing the, me the MDS two form, which is an overview of the security controls on the device. Right. If it's a device, for, if it's security, they're providing me the minimum security documentation, white papers, and information in advance. Yeah. And then we have a conversation. Um, typically, my turnaround for any third-party assessment is about two weeks. Um, so we close that out within two weeks. We give you a decision. If it's high risk um, to the organization, uh, whether it's software or a system or an integrated mm-hmm. system or a SaaS system, mm-hmm. um, then we have a conversation with risk, mm-hmm. with legal, with my executive team, myself. Right. And we talk about it and say, hey, this is the risk of the organization. Is it worth going down and, and potentially saving some money up front doing this endeavor, this SaaS model or this product or right. this service at the expense of risk. And uh, it's a decision, and then we, we log it if it is a risk and it's an ongoing risk, or most likely if it's a high risk, we're not going to do it. If it's a low risk, uh, we'll, we'll, if, it, if it meets our threshold, we'll accept it, and then we'll uh, do whatever we can to control that risk, whether it's putting boundaries or access lists or other uh, accommodating factors to, to protect that device or that, that software. Are you seeing a very wide range of security sophistication or quality in the apps that come across your desk that people want to buy? Are you seeing some that are just atrocious and some that are super buttoned up and tight? I, I think um, most software vendors um, are devi- de- designing and developing software uh, when it comes to t- healthcare systems. They're, they're doing it in a secure fashion. They understand that there is minimum security uh, controls that we, we require. So I, I have to say in the recent times, I'm not seeing uh, security be a major concern uh, as far as vulnerabilities. I'm, I am seeing uh, how they want access to these devices or access to the environments. Uh, systems, uh, uh, the integrators and or the vendors want direct access to, your environment. to our environment yeah. to access and support those devices or yeah. systems. And uh, St. Joseph's and myself, we, uh, we have a, a vendor management system that they have to go through to connect to any device in our environment. It records uh, the entire session. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, we have logs. We have reports right. on what's, what's being what. They have to request what they're doing. Um, but again, vendors come in. They expect to use whatever service they uh, they have and they use, which then you really don't know what they're doing in your environment. You have no yeah. oversight of that. Yeah. So for me, I still think that's a sticking problem. I think CISOs really need to make sure when you go through software or device uh, manufacturer vendors integration um, contracts or agreements that you focus in on how they're going to access the device because uh, that's just another avenue if they're breached or if their right. passwords are right. breached then they can get direct access into your whole healthcare system. Right. So, and, and you want to know if they are breached, you want to know how to sever those connections absolutely. immediately. Absolutely. And our medical device environment helps us do that. There's a lot of automation with some of our 
um, MDR and EDR products that will trigger automation if there's malicious activity on these devices. And uh, you had mentioned it, it doesn't allow them on the network. We have tools that doesn't allow the device on the network, or if it is vulnerable or, or uh, have um, a malicious activity on it, it will block it off the network as well. And um, again, these tools help uh, complement a device if it's not as secure right. as it should be right. uh, as a compensating control. But um, uh, you should be looking at these these agreements with a fine tooth comb. Um, and often, you know, the business urgency around I need this software, I need this device. Um, security team should be able to take two to three weeks to assess and identify if there's any, uh, you know, alarming issues with with the vendor, the manufacturer, the software, or the product. All right, Jesse. That's about all. Uh, I think all we had time for today. But I want to appreciate I appreciate your time. I want to thank you for the discussion. Thank you very much.